The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here with my co-host, Austin McCormick. And with us, we have Dr. James Renahan, who is the president of IRBS Theological Seminary in Mansfield, Texas. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast, Dr. Renahan. Thanks. Great to be here today. Dr. Renahan, we're so uh, great for you to, grateful for you to come on the podcast. And today we want to talk about Nehemiah Cox. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And so the first question we have for you is, who is Nehemiah Cox, and can you give us a biography of this man's life? Yeah, um, Nehemiah Cox is a very important 17th century English particular Baptist. Particular Baptist means uh, the Baptists who are committed to uh, particular atonement, uh, the doctrines of grace. Um, He's not well known, and uh, there are some reasons for that, most specifically because he died prior to the 1689 General Assembly, uh, and so his name is not listed in that um, enumeration of men who uh, adopted the confession. He was born around 1649 or 1650. His father was Benjamin Cox. His grandfather was a minister in the Church of England, and so was his dad. And his dad came to Baptist Views in the early 1640s and uh, ended up in Bedford, and Nehemiah was born uh, around 1650. Uh, interestingly enough, this, this is really curious, um, there is a record that I have seen in the church manuscript book for the parish church in Bedford that indicates he was baptized as a baby. Now, his father was a particular Baptist, a leading particular Baptist. And uh, there, there are several questions that you have to ask about that. Uh, the first one is, was he really baptized? Or was this just an entry that was made by the parish minister? Uh, Baptism was the means, infant baptism, was the means by which not only were you enrolled in the church, but also you became legal in the state. And uh, a lot of times to prove the legitimacy of your birth, you would uh, present or have someone investigate the, the records of the parish church. It's possible that Benjamin had a friend who was the, the, the minister of this uh, Church of England parish, and he just recorded that he baptized uh, Nehemiah. Of course, it's also possible that he really was baptized. Then you have to ask the question, if he was truly baptized, why? Why, why would this particular Baptist have his son baptized? And uh, the two answers are, number one, he might have had a slip of conscience and uh, fell back into in the doctrines of infant baptism, but we find him very quickly, Benjamin, I mean, in the 1650s, advocating for and participating in the life of the particular Baptist. So that's kind of a weird uh, (laughs) possibility. The other one is that it it is remotely possible that he had Nehemiah baptized just for the sake of legitimacy, uh, to, to legalize him and have his name entered into the record and viewed it not as a religious ceremony, but as a civil or political action so that his son was was um, recognizes that, but so you know, fascinating little tidbit there, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen the book with my own eyes. My son Sam and I took a train from London to Bedford a couple of years ago to go up there and, and investigate this stuff. Uh, so it really, truly is there in the book. Uh, the next time he appears in the public record 
is, oh, around 1669 or 1670, when he is a member of John Bunyan's church in Bedford, Nehemiah is. And uh, he becomes, now he's only 19 or 20 years old, but he becomes an important member of the church. He's sent on missions on their behalf. And uh, on the same day that Bunyan was installed as pastor, Nehemiah Cox was installed as a gifted brother in the church. That is, he was recognized and effectively licensed to preach in the congregation. Uh, He's there for a couple of years, and then he appears as pastor of the Petty France Church in London, a very important church, church of almost 600 members in London. Um, And he spends uh, the rest of his life alongside of William Collins, who was ordained on the same day as pastors of that church. Uh, He dies in May of 1689 from some kind of illness, so he would have been 39 years old, roughly, or maybe 40, uh, when he passed away. Um, He was recognized, even though he was a young man, as a very important theologian when the, the other London particular Baptist pastors wanted help in solving a really thorny theological problem with another prominent man out in the West. They asked Cox to participate. Uh, He wrote a very fine book uh, about that, but he would have only been about 27. Uh, In the same way, the evidence is very strong that he and William Collins were the editors of the Second London Confession, which means that he participated in writing it when he was about 27 years old. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, That's how highly esteemed he was by these men in in London who were in their 40s and 50s and even 60s, and uh, yet they chose Nehemiah uh, for that that role. So um, really important guy, and it's sad that he he is not as well-known because I think probably in theological terms he's he may be the most important particular Baptist of the 17th century. And that kind of leads right into the next question. So why would you say, uh, among things already mentioned, that Cox is one of the most important theologians in Baptist history? Yeah. um, Well, it, it may be too much to say in Baptist history, but I would say in the foundations of the 17th century particular Baptist movement, uh, he was most important. And that's because he wrote several uh, works that are of great significance. As I already said, he was recognized by his peers, and really his peers were older men than he. In some ways, they weren't his peers. They were his his superiors. But they recognized his gifts and his abilities. Uh, and he, So he wrote A Discourse of the Covenants in 1681. Uh, the, the work in 1677 called Vindiciae Veritatis, or um, a, a defense of the truth, a vindication of the truth, uh, as over opposed to the uh, gross and dangerous errors of Thomas Collier, uh, is really a fine piece of theological work. It's it's profound. Um, he he knows his stuff through and through. He makes all the careful distinctions that would be familiar, um, and and so you know um, among his peers and with books that that he wrote, although they've been obscure and and in some ways hidden away, uh, he really was uh, one of the leaders. And and so in in my opinion, in that way, a very important theologian. Mm. Uh, You talked about Cox's relation to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Uh, Can you flush that out a little bit more? How is Cox related to the confession, and what is his importance with that document? Yeah. 
Well, the, the first literary appearance of the confession is in the Petit France Church book in August of 1677. And it's just a brief mention. It says, um, a confession of faith having been read by the brethren was approved for publication. And uh, so Baptist historians have assumed that that means that it comes out of the Petit France Church in London. And, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of evidence to support that. In fact, more evidence today than there ever has been before. Uh, my son Sam, in his book From Shadow to Substance, lays out all of that evidence very well, makes the case, um, putting together all of the, the hints that we have in, in other literary productions, that Cox and Collins, the, the uh, elders in the Petit France Church, were the men who wrote that confession as part of the response to the, the theological errors of this guy, Thomas Collier, very prominent man in the West Country. Um, so I, it's pretty certain that it, it's, well, we know that it appeared first in 1677. There are two editions. Um, you can find copies of them. Um, in fact, Sam and I were at a library in December, and we were looking at uh, one of the 1677 copies, holding it in our hands. And he was in London a couple of weeks ago and sent me photographs. Actually, he was in Oxford at the Bodleian Library, and he had copies from 1677 and sent me the, the photographs of those. <laughs> I mean, we're nerds on this stuff, right? <laughs> uh, let's admit it. But, uh, so it, it, the, the evidence is really strong that it comes out of the Petty France Church and that Cox and Collins were the, the primary editors of it when it first appeared. <laughs> This question may be a, a little bit more practical in nature for pastors who are listening. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Nehemiah Cox has a, a book or a work in print on elders and deacons currently um, by Chapel Hill, I think, is the press. Chapel that put, Library? Yep, Chapel Library okay. put out. And with that, as well as having him called upon potentially to help with the confession as well as uh, to respond to that other pastor. What are some things that we can learn from Nehemiah Cox or the life of Cox that teach us about pastoral ministry? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't know that that was in print. Um, that was a sermon that he preached um, in, I think it was at 1680, and it's the first known publication of a sermon by a dissenter, that is, someone who's uh, in a church outside of the Church of England during a period of persecution. That, that's the first public indication mm -hmm. of these kinds of things. That's not to say that ordination services didn't happen before, but here's a sermon. And uh, the title page actually says by NC, but we know that it was Nehemiah Cox. Uh, what can we learn from him? Well, it's a really fine piece of work that deals with uh, elders and deacons and their roles. I, I would urge anyone to obtain a copy and, and read it. I'm assuming that it's a it's a it's an accurate transcript of uh, what Cox said. Um, what can we learn from him? Well, we can learn that uh, young men can serve well in pastoral mm -hmm. ministry because he was um, about 24 when he was chosen to be one of the elders at Petit France. Um, we can see how courageous he was in the time of persecution. Uh, we can and and so enduring. Uh, the Petit France Church was forced out of their meeting place uh, in more than one occasion, uh, and yet he continued to lead that church. Um, we can see uh, the importance of theological controversy uh, and entering in and not just uh, um, 
doing well entering in on a really profound level and dealing with the issues because if you were to read Vindicia Veritatis, uh, that's what he does. It, it's it's a deep work. It's it's a profound work of Christian theology. Um, so he, I think he's a great model of uh, the necessity of being a careful student of Scripture, of being well aware of Christian theology and being able to articulate it, of faithfulness in the face of persecution. Uh, as I said before, the Petty France Church was very large, and so Cox... Um, was uh, very much involved in all of the pastoral work that five or six hundred souls would require, if you can imagine what, what that was like. And we're talking about uh, people from fairly um, well-off merchants all the way down to uh, illiterate household servants. Um, they, they would have participated in that church, and he would have ministered to them. Uh, some of the folks in his church were had to go into exile because of persecution. Um, many, many challenges that came to a church, and he and William Collins both uh, both did well. Collins lived into the early. Um, I think he died in 1704, and there is there actually exists a funeral sermon for William Collins, which also speaks very highly and very well of him. The, the two of them together seem to have been a really fine uh, pair working together as elders in the church and uh, serving. So, I, yeah, you know, his, his biography needs to be recovered more, and uh, Sam has done more work on that. Um, he, he, he seems to have been a really fine pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh Previously on the podcast, we have done an episode on 1689 federalism, and uh, for the next part of this conversation, I want to ask you about your work that you have put together with uh, Cox and Owen. Can you tell us a little bit about that work? And uh, second part of the question, what did Nehemiah Cox think about covenant theology and contribute to covenant theology? Well, those are both big questions. Um, when I was doing my doctoral work back in the early 90s, I came across Cox's work in microfilm called The Discourse of the Covenants, uh, that God made with men before the law. And I read it, and I thought, this is really fine. But then in his preface, he says something uh, to the effect of, I was gathering materials to do a second volume, meaning on the Mosaic Covenant and afterwards, until I read Dr. Owen on Hebrews chapter 8, and uh, I don't have to write that book anymore. It, it, to that effect, that's what he says. So he's, he's sending his Baptist readers off to John Owen to read uh, Covenant Theology from Owen's exposition of Hebrews 8. So I got the bright idea of combining the two of them into one volume. And if, if Cox can, orda- um, um, can recognize and uh, suggest to people that they read Owen on Hebrews 8, why not make it into one volume uh, as if the, the two had uh, worked together on it? Now, they didn't, okay? Th- there is some evidence that, that they knew each other, um, but uh, they didn't work together. But I got, I got this idea. If Cox can send his readers off to Owen, why not put them together? And so uh, we worked on that, and we, uh, the, the, the volume is a little bit modernized, uh, in places, but uh, we published it, uh, oh, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, uh, called it From Adam to Christ, because it does complete 
the, uh, the theme all the way from what Cox wrote prior to the law through Owen's dealings with the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 8. Um, I think it's a really helpful treatment. I think it works well together. It's been well received. Um, it, it, it is a little bit of a challenge because, of course, everybody knows that John Owen is a challenge to read. Well, Nehemiah was uh, himself a profound theologian, and so sometimes you have to work at uh, getting this, but that's, that's just 17th century literature uh, for the most part. What did he think of covenant theology? Well, he was wholeheartedly committed to it. Uh, that his discourse of the covenant makes that point. Of course, uh, broadly speaking, covenant theology was the, uh, the, the, the backbone of theology for everybody in the 17th century. You know, in, uh, we mentioned the 1677 edition of the Confession. 1678, the General Baptist came out with their own Confession of Faith. And if you take a look at it, you'll see that it's basically the Second London Confession of Faith Arminianized. Hmm. And covenant theology is present even there with them. Hmm. So, so covenant theology is the, 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 the center of theological discourse ac- almost across the board in 17th century England and even broader on the continent. So he's, he's committed to this, but he's, he's committed to it in a way that wants to reflect the, the historical covenants of the Bible and how they relate and, and teach us and how we are to understand them. So as he works his way through uh, the first section, well, well, what he wrote in the Discourse of the Covenants, he's exegetically dealing with uh, the covenants and showing how important they are. As a Baptist, he's not afraid to, to jump in here and there and say, uh, you, can't, you can't draw pedo-baptism out of this, and here's why. Um, so, so that's very helpful. And, you know, in... Um, well, I, I could keep going, but I, I don't know that I need to keep going. It, it, so it was very important. It, it's B.B. Warfield calls it uh, the architectonic principle of the Westminster Confession because Second London follows the order. It, it is the, the skeleton, the architecture. And so I'm sure Cox was very comfortable with, uh, with what that is. Now, when you read, when you sit down and compare the Westminster Chapter 7 on, on, of God's Covenants with the Baptist of God's Covenant, singular, you'll notice there are significant differences. And uh, I think the main difference is that the uh, chapter 7 of the Baptist Confession is much more historically oriented. And I've I've had a couple of my Presbyterian friends over the years tell me that uh, Second London 7.3 is superior to Westminster because of the fact that it goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, and it deals in, in very brief form Nevertheless, it deals with the whole sweep of the Old Testament historically, where hmm. Westminster doesn't do that. And I, you know, I appreciate the honesty of <laughs> Presbyterians who will say that. And it's nice to hear. Um, you've mentioned how obviously Nehemiah Cox was reading Owen, as well as he was a member of Bunyan's Church, correct? John Bunyan's Church uh, for for a while. For a while. Yeah. Um, with that said, who were some of the major influences upon? Nehemiah Cox, and, and who shaped or helped forge his theological convictions? Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question, too, because it's pretty shadowy and obscure, to be honest. Uh, I don't doubt that his father would have been an important figure in his life because he comes from a clergy family, both grandfather and father. Um, last year, my wife and I went to uh, 
little town in the south of England called Crediton, and we saw the church where his father had been a minister in the Church of England. Uh, so I, I don't doubt that his father had significant influence upon him. Uh, but when you read um, books, especially Vindicii Veritatis, although it's also true of A Discourse of the Covenants, he's interacting with all of the major theologians of the day, uh, and even some obscure continental theologians who are only writing in Latin, um, even Roman Catholics, um, he, would, he will cite uh, and interact with them. Uh, I, I would like to know if he had a university degree or, or education. Now, he could not have received uh, a degree from Oxford or Cambridge, because if you, if you were not a member of the Church of England, you could not attend either one of those universities. So it, it would have had to have been somewhere else. But uh, we know that he was fluent in Latin, in Hebrew, and in Greek. He was able to work in the original languages. So he, he had a thorough education and was well-trained and was exposed to and interacted with a high level of theology on the continent. Um, beyond the, uh, the, the, the notations that you have in the text pointing to different authors, it's very difficult to, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. identify any particular individual. And, and I'm frustrated by that because I'd like to know, a mm -hmm. have a better answer to your question. I'd like to know those things. Mm. And uh, we, we've looked, you know, we've, we've tried to sort it out. Even William Collins, uh, in the funeral sermon, it said of him that uh, he had a university education, but we can't find him in the records of Oxford or Cambridge. And we've tried. We, we even, there, there's reason to believe that William Collins attended the Westminster School in London, which is very prestigious private school. And we've contacted the Westminster School and they don't have any records of him. But in the funeral sermon, uh, the, it's, it's basically stated that he went to the Westminster School. So all of this is frustrating to me. I, I would like to know more and, mm. and sort mm. it out. Hmm. Well, we've enjoyed this conversation and we've enjoyed talking to you about Nehemiah Cox. And um, certainly this is an encouragement for others to uh, start reading Cox. So with that said, where would you encourage our listeners to start if they wanted to learn more about uh, Nehemiah Cox? Yeah, um, well, um, my son Sam has just recently published a book um, through Regents Park College in Oxford called The Petty France Church, Volume 1. And it's uh, an attempt to... Uh, it's part of a series of books that they're doing that are very helpful that um, is reprinting primary source material. And uh, it doesn't strictly focus on Cox, although the next volume uh, will have more. But it, uh, it gives some really profound background information on the Petit France Church. It does include something very interesting. Uh, Cox had a medical degree that he earned in, in the Netherlands. And he wrote a dissertation in the 1680s. Uh, the title of it, translated into English, is, is on arthritis. But it's actually on gout. And it exists in the British Library. Now, what Sam was able to do was have a friend translate it from Latin into English, and that dissertation on gout is included in Volume 1 <laughs> of the Petty France Church. So if anybody wants to read uh, a 17th century dissertation, it's not very long. It's probably in print, oh, maybe 30 pages, I don't know, more or less, uh, on gout. Not, not theological at all, uh, but you can read that. And he earned, he earned a, a medical degree in the Netherlands as a result of it. And he actually was recognized as, a, as an honorary member, a, a fellow of the Royal, uh, Royal College of Surgeons. Uh, 
uh, just before he died. That, that's a pretty prestigious thing. Now, he's an honorary member because he's not in the Church of England, so he can't be a fellow, but he's recognized as an honorary member. So even there, outside of theology, he's you know, recognized for his, his gifts and his talents. So I would start there with, with uh, the Petty France book. It's available um, on Amazon. P- people can buy it. I would also suggest um, if they can find the, uh, the Chapel Library edition of his uh, sermon um, at the ordination of an elder and deacons, um, that's a good entry point because it's, it's an exposition of scripture. Uh, it's very practical. It's short. I don't, I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I didn't know that it was in print but it can't be more than 30 or 40 pages. Mm-hmm. And then um, the from uh, Adam to Christ volume uh, is available online as well, and I would urge kind of walk, work your way up to that unless you're familiar with Puritan writings and you mm-hmm. can just jump into from Adam to Christ. But, but there's a wealth of material, and when Sam comes out with volume two, pardon me, there'll be even more. Of course, the other place is in Sam's book, From Shadow to Substance, and... Uh, particular Baptist Press has redone Volume One of their uh, series on uh, biographies of particular Baptists, and uh, Sam did the Benjamin Cox Nehemiah Cox chapter mm-hmm. that's published in there as well. So w- we know more today than we ever did before, and mm-hmm. there's lots that, that people can find. Yeah, you know, so if you have a problem with gout, maybe Nehemiah. Cox <laughs> One one final thing. Um, we mentioned that you're the president of IRBS Theological Seminary. Would you just share with our listeners what that is and what you guys are about, yeah. where you're at again? Sure. We're in Mansfield, Texas, which is uh, 30 minutes due south of the DFW airport, a little bit closer to Fort Worth than to Dallas. Uh, for 20 years, we had the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies at Westminster Seminary in California, had a great relationship with the men there. Uh, in many ways, we didn't want to leave. They didn't want us to leave. But we, we believed that it was the time to uh, bring together a residential, confessional, Reformed Baptist seminary. And uh, so about, uh, it's coming up on two years ago, I moved to Texas and we began the program. It is a, uh, a, a residential seminary, although we do, we will, we will be soon offering some online classes. Uh, and one of our programs is almost completely available online. Um, we, we have the traditional Master of Divinity degree. We also have a diploma program, which is for men in their 30s or above who don't have a bachelor's degree and would normally not be able to enter into uh, a master's program in a typical seminary. We believe we're all about serving the church and preparing men for the ministry. And that means that, uh, you, you know, a guy who's 35 and he has four kids can't go back and finish college. It, it, it just delays everything, and it adds burdens to him. So we, we figured what we can do is help train those men. And so we offer the, the same program as the Master of Divinity without granting the degree and calling it a diploma at the end. So that's the focus. And uh, men who enter as Master of Divinity or diploma candidates will get the same training and the same background, just the end result will be slightly different. Uh, we also offer a Certificate of Reformed Baptist Studies. That's the program that uh, five of the six classes will be available online. Um, That's intended for uh, teachers in churches, elders, pastors who want to supplement their seminary education that, you know, maybe they went to a a much more broadly evangelical or a liberal school and they didn't get any 
uh, background in Reformed theology that will help them and, and supply some instruction for them. Um, so th- that's the main the main things that we're doing. Um, really, really pleased with it. Really thankful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dr. Renahan, Jimmy and I are grateful for your ministry at IRBS Theological Seminary, and we're also thankful that you took the time today to discuss the important Nehemiah Cox. So we want to thank you for taking your, your time today to record with us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS exists to provide ministerial training in the context of a confessional local church. They are, among other things, confessional, Baptist, affordable, and accessible. They are also now fully accredited by the Association of Reformed Theological Seminaries. You can learn more about them at their website, which is cbtseminary.com. Again, that is cbtseminary.org. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. If you've enjoyed this resource or you simply like the Covenant Podcast, head on over to our iTunes page, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are also available via Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, YouTube, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.